All right, everybody, welcome to another live stream. My name is Ansel Lindner. This is Bitcoin and Markets, November 3rd, 2022. Hope you guys are doing well. Just a couple people here in the chat right now are listening in on Telegram. Uh, hopefully some more people join throughout the show. But I'm going to go uh, continue going on this uh, just like normal. So I yesterday was the first day that I put out this live stream on my podcast feed and on Rumble. And so that's the new kind of uh, process that I'm going to be doing here. So people that are watching it on Rumble, uh, hit that like button, subscribe to the channel. These should be coming out on a daily basis, at least every weekday. Um, also, if you're listening on a podcast app, like the podcast, if you can like the podcast episode and you can review it on iTunes. If you like this kind of approachable macro geopolitics, Bitcoin content, you can like it, uh, and review it on iTunes that helps other people find the podcast. And if you want to partake in the live stream. So at the end of the show, I always open it up for people on telegram to make comments ask questions whatever they want to do uh, you can join the telegram at t.me for slash bitcoin and markets and you can follow me on twitter at ansel Lindner because i do it this is also going out on twitter spaces okay um what else do i need to say oh and bitcoin and you can sign up for the free weekly newsletter okay so let's get into today's episode uh, i want to debrief real quick fed watch then talk about some charts go into Jason Lowry and his proof of work stuff, talk about a, a question that I got over Saudi Arabia and hit a Twitter question. So there's lots to cover. Uh, it's going to be a whirlwind show. Hopefully I can uh, cut it off at no more than 30 minutes. I try to keep these to 15 to 30 minutes. So we'll see how we do. Let's see. Okay. A couple more people joined DT. What is up? Point BTC, Spagball, Tony, no baloney is here. So thanks guys for joining. Uh, okay. So fed watch yesterday, we talked about, of course, fed day and the raising of 75 basis points. Hope you guys caught the show and it wasn't a surprise, but the one thing that I noticed, okay. So I did a live stream as well yesterday, real quick, uh, right at the announcement time. And it was a 75 basis point hike. And immediately the market started rallying. Bitcoin, the stock market, the dollar sold off. So it was a it was interpreted as a dovish announcement. And so you dive into the, the language in the announcement and they actually have this one sentence. And I, damn it, I closed that window down. Uh, let's see if I can, uh, I can't find it real quick here, but it was, it used the word cumulative. So the Fed is going to look at the cumulative monetary policy, the cumulative effect of their monetary policy. And that, it, that was added. So if you look at their September meeting, it's the almost the exact same statement, except they added in that sentence and the one right before it. Um, so it was just completely added in. And so people were thinking, oh, this means, you know, this is dovish. They're going to pivot. There's something new here. They're telling us that they're looking at the cumulative impact. And what has the impact been? Well, we've had swap lines to the Swiss National Bank. And we've had problems in the UK. We've had all of the, you know, China, the China economies blowing up. Japan's having problems. So this cumulative effect, people thought, oh, the Fed is going to look at that and they're going to slow down. Um, 
but then Powell, the minute Powell started answering questions at about, I would say it was uh, about 240 or 245 even. And we went on live with FedWatch at three o'clock. So I didn't, I was watching it, but I didn't have time to like make notes or to, um, to make clips that we could watch uh, on, on FedWatch. But the minute he started answering questions, he poured cold water on it. And so there was this contradiction between uh, the statement and the press conference. And I drew the conclusion that they want that uncertainty because I was thinking, like, how are they going to, you know, the, the market is trying to front run a pivot. The market is trying to front run a pivot. And that will negate their monetary policy intentions. Right. So if they are trying to raise rates to get a certain outcome. But the market is front running their eventual pivot because they know it's going to come to an end sooner or later. Right. So uh, to stop that, what they need to do is they need to cause some uncertainty. And so the goal of this back and forth, this mixed messages, these mixed messaging that they did. Uh, I think was to cause some uncertainty that will allow their monetary policy to work as intended. All right. And because remember, they do not have a mechanical monetary policy. They have a influential monetary, a, a mental psychological monetary policy. So they need to affect the psychology of the market and add some uncertainty in there. So anyway, I thought that was interesting. Uh, we also talked about the diesel shortage and I kind of went off on a tangent and I, I, I don't regret the stuff I said, but I, I did say something like, I know it's going to cause pain. I know the prices are going to go higher, but I'm not worried about it. Uh, I'm not worried about diesel prices going up. And it's because, you know, I think higher prices, um, the only type time that higher prices are not a net benefit or price changes, I guess you could say, are not a net benefit is when price changes are due to inflation you know, actual money printing. And we don't have that right now, right? These price, these price rises that we've seen a majority, 80, 90% of the price increases is due to government policy and sanctions and trade wars and currency wars. So those, that's where these price increases are coming from. And in that context, these price increases are a good thing. This is the market trying to heal itself. Now, people will get hurt, yes, but that's a, that's because people get hurt by government policy all the time. It's the government policy that's hurting these people, not the price rises. The price rises are the medicine, you know? Um, so on the FedWatch, that's what I said. I, I tried to make it as clear as I just did there. But I don't know if it worked out too well. Uh, but anyway, so that's what happened on FedWatch. I did post it on FedWatch Clips channel. I'll put that link in the show notes here real quick. Or sorry, in the uh, Telegram channel real quick. So that just came out a couple minutes ago. I got that going. I'm going to do a couple clips hopefully from that. Um, I don't know if it's clip worthy this week. But anyway, got that going. Um. What else do we have? So let's get into some charts. Let me pull up trading view. So let's start with Bitcoin just to keep us anchored on Bitcoin in the conversation. 
it is holding up very well. I mean, especially when you put Bitcoin next to the S&P 500, it's holding up very, very well. Um, so yesterday it was down, let's see, yesterday it was down 1.5%. And let's see what the S&P 500 was down. Yeah, I think it was down way more than that. The S&P 500 was down 2.5%. So see, the volatility in the stock market is twice as big as the volatility here in Bitcoin, which I think is extremely interesting. And ex I mean, I think people are looking at the investors, the big pools of money are looking at that. They are noticing it, that Bitcoin is much less volatile right now in these crazy times. In these crazy times, Bitcoin is less volatile. Very, very important. Anyway, uh, the stock market opened up big gap down on the day, but and then it kept falling. But now it's regaining. I think it's going to turn green for the day, which is very interesting. I also said on FedWatch yesterday that this monetary policy stuff doesn't affect like the fundamentals of the market, right? Like actual supply and demand, hardcore supply and demand. It they it affects the psychology of the market, and so you can have these initial FOMO the initial panic to jump in front of other people that are having panic and FOMO and that, that can move the market, but that doesn't change like the underlying fundamentals of the market. So uh, if the trend was higher or at least the trend right now, I think in, in the market is sideways. I mean, it's, it's been the, the floor has been relatively solid. And the market wants to go higher. Uh, so that's the fundamentals out there. Um, anyway, so th that's some charts. Let's look at the dollar. I'll post this in the Telegram group. Uh, initially, the dollar sold off yesterday, or at least the DXY, but it has since rallied. But it doesn't look like it's super strong. So they're starting to form a, an upper wick, meaning that the bears uh, or the sellers are, you know, fighting back a little bit. We'll see how this ends on the day. But right now, it's not in, in danger of like breaking out to higher highs. I saw a tweet from Sam Rule. If you guys know Sam, he uh, works with Dylan LeClaire on BTC um, Pro, on the Bitcoin Magazine Pro. And he's a good guy. But he, he tweeted out about the DXY, a DXY chart. And he's like, you know, uh, pretty much he implied that DXY is going higher. He, he wouldn't be calling a top anytime soon, uh, but I am. <laughs> I think that it will, um, it will, it's range bound right now. It's range bound right now. All right. What else do we have here? Let's look at the 10 year. Cause I did bring this up on FedWatch as well. It, looks similar to the dollar chart, at least the 10 year yields here. They, they went up back up to 420 and now are back down to 414 and they need to get down below that 4% to be in that fed funds funds range. So this is something that we'll be watching. I'll be watching extremely closely how the yields actually lead the fed because the fed remember is admittedly data dependent. They tell us they are followers, okay? They tell us they're followers. And if the yields go down, they don't have any choice. 
I mean, actually, they do have a choice. They have a choice between raising rates and losing confidence. So the market will lose confidence in the Fed and won't. And they will actually see that the emperor has no clothes. Or they can pause and pivot. I mean, Powell already, like in his MO, I have said many times, Powell in his MO, he has a pivot, two pivots. He also has a mid-cycle adjustment. And those were his words back in 2019 when he raised, uh, lowered rates in uh, July, I believe, of 2019. And people were kind of confused by it. They thought, you know, I guess the market consensus was that he would keep rates steady but he actually cut by 25 basis points. And he said that this was a mid-cycle adjustment. Well, what happened just a few months later? Yeah, they had to make a full percentage point cut and chase it downwards because the rates went first. The rates went lower and then the Fed had to follow. So this is, I'm watching the 10-year yield very, very closely. I'll put this chart in the Telegram group. I'll also, if I can remember all of the charts here, I'm going to be putting them in the show notes for the podcast listeners and the Rumble listeners. You can go to whichever episode this is. This is going to be episode 255. So if you go to bitcoinandmarkets.com forward slash E255, then you can find the show notes for this. And I should have all of the charts that I talk about. Um, I'm going to try to remember all that. All right, let's get into Jason Lowry. So this was, I believe it was Point BTC, but then it was also Evil Spock, I think, on Telegram that was wanting me to take a look at Lowry stuff. Of course, I am, I was familiar with some of his work when he initially came into the space, because I remember uh, when he was on LinkedIn and then he came over to Bitcoin Twitter, I remember him and... uh, I, I liked his concept, uh, you know, the national security thing. Same with Matthew Pines. They have a similar thing where Bitcoin is extremely important for national security. And I think that's a very important angle to take. Um, but anyway, so Jason Lowry is working on this uh, PhD thesis, I guess. And he's going to be talking about proof of work and about tying uh, what what did he call it? What's the terminology? It's the hierarchy structures that are different between proof of stake and proof of work. So proof of work kind of instantiates this, um, not might makes right, but the ability to impose physical costs on an attacker. And that is the way to manage a hierarchy. And he uses things like the wolf pack and, and other things from nature to describe this uh, way of, of ordering society based on real energy consumption, like the costs, real costs. But then there's another way to order society and order groups, and that is an abstract way. So he talks about this in the form of um, like rank or even government. So government is this abstract idea, like why does a government have so much power over you? Well, it's this, it's an abstract thing. It's an abstract order of society. In the military, you have abstract order with rank, generals, colonels, you know, 
um, they have power over other people. Well, proof of stake, he says, is an abstract power structure. And proof of work is a concrete physical cost type of structure. And I think it's a very, very interesting idea. And I like that he's talking about this. I did listen to his Breedlove interview, at least episode one of his series with Breedlove. And I didn't like it too much because they were they started by, you know, talking about evolution and physics and all this stuff. And I have my own ideas on that. Uh, like, for example, uh, he said that it's all about power projection, you know, power projection. Can you uh, which animal can project power? It started with bacteria that would subsume, consume other bacteria. And uh, it's all about who can go out and take resources, right? Well, that doesn't really make sense because uh, for, here's a simple example. Our bodies are 10 times more bacteria than human cells. So who's really in charge? Who's really the dominant species? Also, bacteria can kill off the human race much easier than the human race can kill off bacteria. So who's really in charge? Who is the power projection here? Um, it's not humans. It's definitely not humans. I mean, the common trope too about like cockroaches will live through a nuclear holocaust, but humans won't. You know, so like, and and they also framed this Breedlove and Lowry framed this as a straight line of evolution, right? Like we started from single cells and then we go to complex with big brains and all this, but that's not the case at all. That's not the case at all. Also, they said they use this idea of um, cold-blooded versus warm-blooded. And that the warm-blooded adaptation of early warm-blooded creatures, I think it was pre-mammals, but you could say it was mammals, um, they, they were able to survive the <laughs> uh, uh, global crisis of the, you know, the, the meteorite hitting and killing off the dinosaurs and stuff. But, I mean, you know, there was a lot of cold-blooded animals that survived that too, right? The, the only cold-blooded animals that didn't survive were the big ones. Have you ever thought about that one? So uh, it's it's not as simple as a straight line of evolution. I mean, evolution is not a straight line. Sometimes uh, some adaptation, older adaptation, um, might seem like a, a weakness until there's a cataclysm. And then uh, it turns out to be a strength. So no, it's not a straight line at all. Evolution is not. It's random. It's completely random. Um, Breed love. Well, I, I don't want to go too deep into that. Maybe I'll I'll talk about that on a later live stream when I don't have so much to cover. Okay, what else do we have? This Saudi Arabia stuff. Let me uh, pull up the question on Telegram. Sorry, guys. One second. Okay, so this was from Robert Hall. He asked the question. Uh, Robert, are you in here? Yes, you are. What's up, buddy? Okay, um, Robert Hall posted a link to oilprice.com, which is uh, one of my go-to sites for, you know, oil market news, energy news. But the uh, article was about Saudi Arabia shifting towards China and the influence on China away from being like buddy-buddy with the U.S. and now they're going to be buddy-buddy with China. 
Well, okay. So my response was that I don't have the highest regard for, I mean, I have, I have respect for everybody and I have respect for every culture. I value diversity. I actually value diversity. I want people to be different. I want there to be different types of governments. I want there to be different types of communities and different types of social structures. That's what I really like. I love diversity. That That's as opposed to Marxists, you know, Marxists don't like diversity. They want everybody to be a worker. They want everybody to be equally oppressed, right? Everybody has to have some identity that's an oppressed identity and that they can break you down and tame you. So anyway, um, I love diversity, but <laughs> saying that though, I, I don't have a real high respect for the power that is the Saudi Arabian government. Okay. They are very weak. I mean, they would not have survived. You know, when the U S came in, in the forties, fifties, sixties, what did we find there? We didn't find Riyadh the way it is today as some really high tech modern city. We found that go look at some of the film footage back from, I think it was Eisenhower or somebody went over there and signed some agreements and stuff. It's seriously like people living in tents. And I spent some time over in the Middle East and uh, I remember looking at some historical photographs of Abu Dhabi and Dubai. Like those are big modern cities today, right? Uh, back in like 1968, there was no such city as Abu Dhabi and Dubai. They were desert. So who built these cities up? You know, it, it was, I mean, they did some of it, but it was Western engineers, Western money, and Western protection that built them up. If the U.S. is gone uh, away from these places, the Persian Gulf, uh, Saudi Arabia isn't going to exist very long. Okay. They're going to fall apart. They're going to be attacked on two sides and the desert is going to attack them. Uh, Iran is the regional power. And Iran has only been held back by the U.S. sanctions and by U.S. protection in the Persian Gulf. So, yeah, go ahead. Let Saudi go to China. It doesn't. They think that they have more power, more pull with China because China would be more dependent on Saudi. The, the, one of the biggest geopolitical events or, um, I guess, conditions of the last 20 years has been U.S. energy independence. That's changed the rules of the game. Prior to that, the U.S. would care about what's going on with Saudi Arabia. They would care about what's going on around the rest of the world because they wanted to keep the trade lanes open. They wanted to keep the energy flowing. Now, it's much less of a concern. I mean, we're draining our strategic petroleum reserve. And it doesn't seem to be causing that much gripes in the United States. So, yeah, that Saudi can do what they want. Um, despite Biden's best efforts, um, the U.S. is going to deglobalize. And the more they try to stop it, like the, the actions in Ukraine, all right, the involvement of – because they say that Ukraine is pretty much run from Warsaw 
from NATO in Warsaw. And of course, NATO is really run by the U.S. Uh, but as the more the U.S. tries to maintain its relevance and maintain this globalist world order and all of this stuff, the the faster it's going to fall, the more they're going to just cause more and more problems and kick the U.S. out. So the more they try to intervene with this deglobalization trend, that's a natural trend, the more it's the faster it's going to happen. Um, what else did I say about this? Oh, okay. So, <laughs> um, I say that the U S doesn't need Saudi really anymore, but China desperately does. The Saudis think they can have more power dealing with China and they're kind of right, but the commies will slit their throats when they are crossed. I mean, yeah, be careful of strange bedfellows here because you don't want to get into cozy relationships with a communist regime. They will push and push and push you to become communist. And then once you become communist, then they will influence, you, you know, take over you through influence. So, no, the communists are not the best friends to have. And unfortunately, Saudi will learn this. Um, if I look forward 20 years, I mean, Saudi Arabia might not even exist, guys. It might be something else. Or, it, you know, it's named Saudi Arabia for the, the Saud, for the, the Saudis. And the Saudis might not retain power. It's just a royal family, right? There could be infighting within the Saudi family because there's something like, there's hundreds and hundreds of, maybe thousands of princes. Um, so there, there is room for a massive, massive, uh, you know, civil war in the, the Saudi royal family. Anyways, um, so that's what I kind of think about that. All right, let's take a look at Twitter. This is a, a DM question that I got. So uh, if you're listening on Twitter spaces, you can always hit me up on DMs. Um, let's see. Okay, this is an old question from Porco Capitalista. And he says, I am curious about your macro outlook for the next 3, 5, 10, 15 years, especially about Bitcoin, nation states, emerging markets, population growth. Maybe your thoughts on the sovereign individual thesis. Anything you find relevant, really. Okay, well... I mean, a lot of this show is talking about my macro outlook for that length of time. Um, I, starting with Bitcoin, I think Bitcoin will hit some sort of repricing event within five or 10 years. And it will become extremely dominant. Maybe not by 15 years being the global reserve currency, but maybe 30, 20 or 30 years. And by 10 years, it should be, you know, at least. 20 times bigger than it is now, maybe 50 times bigger than it is now. And eventually Bitcoin will become the global reserve currency um, for many, many reasons I've detailed out. You know, we're going away from a credit-based money because the credit is saturated in the world. And when we go to multipolar world, you don't trust each other. And so you need a, a, a medium that is trusted. Right. So that would be gold or Bitcoin. 
but I don't think they'll go back to gold. Maybe some people will, but it'll be like in 1871, Saifedean talks about this in his book, is in 1871, China went to a silver standard and the rest of the world, uh, Germany in particular at that time, joined the gold standard. And what happened was, you know, if you stay on the, the bad money, the, the less hard money, you end up getting exploited. So people that go to gold instead of Bitcoin uh, will end up getting exploited until they switch to Bitcoin. So that's my kind of understanding for Bitcoin. Um, nation states. I think they continue, but I, I am very bearish on China. I'm midterm bearish on Russia. I'm, I'm bearish on Central Asia. You know, that, that just think about in the past, like all the war torn areas that those wars are coming back. You know, one reason why people say like the U.S. is like this evil empire and they go out and they start all these wars and they've been in a war every year since World War II and except for maybe three or something like this. And yeah, I have sympathy for that argument. But the uh, the other option is not utopia. Right. I tell this to my kids when I'm talking about some of these topics um, that they think that there is like the choice is. uh my way or utopia, but it's not. Okay. It's not, the choice is not the U S expeditionary nature or utopia. The option, the choice that they, they are making or that they are going to have to deal with is U S expeditionary nature or war like with their neighbors and no access to credit and poverty that's the other option. Like the natural state of humanity is not a uh, technological um, bliss. Okay. And future like the Star Trek is not the future. The only reason why the, the emerge, the third world has become developing nations or emerging markets is because of the free trade that the U S led and protected. I mean, piracy is a real thing. We've talked about this on this this live stream many times. Piracy is coming back in a major way. We've already seen it. Nationalization of Russian assets in Germany. That's that's like land pirates right there. Okay, and the uh, freezing and confiscation of Russian assets abroad that are dollar denominated, right? That's piracy. Blowing up Nord Stream, that's piracy. So this that is what we're going for. Like, how do you have a super functioning utopia when you have all of this conflict? And that's, this conflict is a character of human nature, of the of natural uh, status quo, Throughout human history, the only thing that's allowed the world to really boom so much in the last 50 years is imposed global order from the United States. And once that goes away, everything is going to fall apart. Look at what's happening in Pakistan right now. I mean, you can go through a list of countries that are just falling apart. As U.S. power wanes, as U.S. Con, uh, conviction in keeping this global system going, and as the globalists that are pushing this, 
as they lose power and as nationalism and populism are on the rise, you're going to see more and more of this, just these countries just falling apart. And it's not a good thing. It's not, I'm not saying that I like this at all. I'm saying that that is just what's going to happen. That's my kind of view on this stuff. So uh, I'm bearish China. That's like maybe my best call. I'm, I'm also recently very bearish the UK. And I'm midterm bearish on Russia. I think they will, you know, they're winning this conflict. They will win this conflict. But the next conflict they won't. Uh, there will be some sort, some, some happening to them in the next 20 years. Their demographics are bad. Their um, health of their population is really bad. They, they just, uh, same story in many places around the world, but uh, Russia is particularly bad. So anyway, that's, that's what I had to say to you, Porco Capalista. Thanks for the question. Okay. That's going to do it. I'm going to open it up for telegram listeners to make any questions comments concerns and then we're going to call it a day so go for it raise your hand and ask a question while i'm waiting for that uh, those guys over uh watching on rumble remember give me a like subscribe to the channel if you're listening to this lis- listening to this on the podcast apps uh give it a star or a like or whatever you can do on your app also you can review it on itunes if you listen this far you probably like some of the stuff i said so go over to itunes and give me a review that will help out uh tremendously also check out bitcoinandmarkets.com this is episode 255 so we'll be uh, bitcoinandmarkets.com forward slash e255 for the show notes all right no comments from my t- oh Robert Hall, let me let you in here. What's up, Robert? Hey, um, how's it going? I want to go back to the uh, petrodollar and this whole Saudi Arabia going, you know, trending towards China. Yeah. Um, considering oil's price in dollars, wouldn't that be a national uh, security issue? Considering if other countries are starting to price, you know, if you know if they're accepting. Um, oil in different currencies doesn't that reduce uh, demand for dollars worldwide thus creating an issue for us okay good question Um, let me make sure Twitter space is still going my phone fell asleep here one second all right so the question was um, going back to the Saudi stuff and the petrodollar um, is you know going away from paying for oil in or pricing oil in dollars it won't that be um bad for the u.s dollar is that the question robert essentially basically you know if there's less demand for dollars doesn't that just make our debt um that we have now more of a national security issue for the whole world because if we collapse basically everybody else does right yeah, so if there's less demand for dollars, then that's bad for the U.S. and for the rest of the world. Because if if our economy collapses and we, maybe we go into civil war or something, that's bad, really bad for the rest of the world. Uh, yes, if that's if that's going to happen, but um, I I don't really buy the the petrodollar arguments. Um, I know it's really big in the Bitcoin space. Uh, who is the guy that wrote all that stuff? Is it Alex Gladstein? that wrote all the stuff on the petrodollar. Um, 
I don't really agree with that. I think there's demand for the dollar in general. And the reason why most things are most commodities are priced in dollars isn't because of uh, the U.S. military threat, but it's because that's what everyone else wants. You know, money is convergent. And so uh, the dollar is just the most accepted thing. So even as Saudi is saying they want to get cozy, cozy with uh, China, what are they doing? They've actually increased their purchases of U.S. treasuries. Over the last, I think, 18 months or whatever since this COVID stuff. So even though they say this and their actions are saying this, that they are wanting to pivot towards China, they still are need dollars. You just need dollars to trade in this world. And so I don't really buy the whole petrodollar thing. Uh, I think the dollar will continue to strengthen. And there is this national security or geopolitical bonus to the United States and to the dollar that I think might drive them towards adopting Bitcoin. I really think that they will be one of the most, one of the earliest countries to actually back their currency with Bitcoin in some way, shape or form. Maybe it's just the Federal Reserve adding some Bitcoin to their balance sheet, just like they have gold on their balance sheet. But I think that's a possibility. Um, but when you look at every other currency, I mean, what is the other option besides the dollar? Um, you're not going to hold your stuff in yuan. You're not going to hold it in rubles. I mean, even everyone, there, there's a lot of talk out there from uh, sound money people and even anti, I would say anti-West, anti-globalist people that they wrongly blame. They, they place the blame in the wrong place, but they, um, they were making fun of the result of, you know, all this inflation in the West, but Russian, the Russian economy is doing well. Well, it is doing kind of well, but their inflation is twice as high as Europe, three times as high as the United States. So that's that. It, just think of it like that. The rest of the world doing pretty well is 20% inflation, right? And What's the other option? It, the only other option is dollars or gold or Bitcoin to hold your hold your reserves in. Uh, not even the euro. I mean, the euro was about 20% of reserves, maybe 22% of reserves before all this stuff. Um, I'm not sure exactly what it's done in the last 12 months, but I think the first 12 months of COVID, uh, it lost a percent or two. So it's dying as a reserve currency. And the only other option is dollars. So that's where the the bid comes from, not necessarily of the petrodollar. Um, but I, I understand that argument and I'm sympathetic to the argument. I just don't, I don't buy it. Does that answer the question, Robert? Yeah, thanks. That was, that was great. All right. Thanks, man. Any other questions, comments, concerns from Telegram folks? All right. Well, that's going to do it for today, guys. Thanks for joining. Um, just quick holler to the Telegram link is t.me for slash Bitcoin and Markets. You can follow me on Twitter. Also, check out the Rumble channel. Like it, subscribe, and we'll see you next time.